What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three gamma radiation experts, and you're not going to like us when we're angry. I'm Austin Terry, and I only wear purple stretchy pants. I'm Keith Baker, and my pulse is way too high right now. And I'm Matt Johnson, and in a few years, I will all of a sudden look like Mark Ruffalo? Question mark? On today's show, we'll be continuing our bi-weekly series on the MCU Phase 1 with The Incredible Hulk. But first, Matt... Our newest bonus series launches this week. What can people expect from that? And are you excited for the Falcon and Winter Soldier? Ooh, man, I'm so excited. As for what people can expect, if you watched our series where we covered The Boys Season 2, The Mandalorian Season 2, and more recently WandaVision, it'll be the same kind of thing. Every time a new episode comes out on Friday, we'll be breaking it down and releasing our thoughts on Sunday. Now... As for Falcon and Winter Soldier, we are recording this, guys, on the day that apparently the press, I guess, was given access to the first episode, and it's pretty overwhelmingly positive, so I'm excited. They're saying it's kind of a deep character study on both Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes, but still the action is top-notch. I even saw a lot of people saying it it rivals some of the movie action sequences, so I think we're going to get something pretty cool here. And they also confirmed that each episode will be between 45 and 55 minutes long. So anybody complaining that WandaVision was a bit too short, they're going to give us some longer episodes this time around. So I'm really excited to start breaking this down later this week. How have they not found a way to convey any of that cool stuff in the trailers? Like, the trailers have not (sighs) sold me on this one at all. So I'm still kind of cautiously nervous about this MCU show. I'm with you a little bit. I'm excited about the concept. I'm excited that it's a post-Endgame world like WandaVision, but this one will directly kind of give us what's the like what's the deal with captain america is sam gonna fully embrace that title how does bucky fit in with like all of his friends <laughs> being dead i guess now so i'm really curious but i agree the act the action and the trailers themselves haven't fully sold me so i'm hoping that they're under promising so that they over deliver i'm i'm going into it just like i did wandavision i have not watched any trailers read anything yeah. about it i'm gonna go into it blind i think we're gonna like it i i'm i'm looking forward to it for sure All right, well, as Matt said, the Falcon and Winter Soldier bonus series will be launching this coming Sunday, and for today, let's just get into it. We will be discussing the much-forgotten chapter of the MCU, 2008's Edward Norton-led The Incredible Hulk. This was Norton's only shot at the big green wrecking machine. Mark Ruffalo would go on to play the character in The Avengers, and a standalone Hulk sequel would never materialize. Coming out only one month after the first Iron Man, the comparisons were inevitable, and in the years to come, the MCU would turn out an Iron Man sequel, Thor, Captain America, and the Avengers, leaving the Incredible Hulk to be lost to history. But not on our show. We're here to give this movie its due, so let's dust this one off to see if it should have ever been forgotten in the first place. Matthew and Keith, give me your history with this film and your initial thoughts on The Incredible Hulk. Yeah, my... History with The Incredible Hulk is not much history. I think I only saw this movie maybe once, maybe twice. The only thing I remember from it is the Hulk. When he becomes the Hulk, whenever they throw the gas into the little tunnel scene of the college, that's the Mm -hmm. only scene I actually remember. Everything (laughs) everything else, I I did not remember. And so, yeah, I was pretty surprised to watch all of this again. But uh, yeah, initial thoughts is it's okay. It's an okay movie. <laughs> um. <laughs> it felt like that was a setup for an Owen Wilson impression that didn't happen. It's an okay movie. <laughs> it's an okay movie. I liked it a lot. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just okay. There's some things I did like about it, and then there's lots of things that was just kind of, 
I don't want to say didn't like about it. I have to think about it more. And I'm okay. ready to break it. I'm really excited to break it down with you guys because there's lots of funny stuff in this movie that I don't think was supposed to be funny. Uh, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> and maybe and there's just some things that just kind of confused me in this movie overall. But yeah, what about you, Matthew? Okay, yeah. So my history is relatively similar. I, I didn't see this in theaters, but I did see it, I guess, the year it came out. For, for whatever reason, I distinctly remember renting this from Blockbuster and watching it not knowing it had any connection to Iron Man or whatever. And I, I remember having fun with it. And then I didn't see it for years and years and years. I think I, I must have watched it once randomly, like two years ago. And I was like, I actually kind of like this. And then watching it again this time. I don't know, man. I got to say, I feel like this is always the position I take on this show. I don't I wish it wasn't. I love this movie. I thought this movie was great. Are you crazy? I'm not. I'm <laughs> this not. is the movie I have enjoyed the least that we have ever covered on this show. Whoa. Austin. Here's the thing. I'm not one to back down, especially not when Austin disagrees with me, because by golly, he's disagreed with me on a lot of things over 15 years of knowing him, whatever it is. So it's okay. So you know what? I'm going to double down, and I'm not even lying when I say this. Is this my favorite of the movies or shows we've covered so far? No, but this is a better movie than Iron Man. Eat it, bitch. <laughs> I'm not lying when I say this. I had to start drinking to make it through this movie. <laughs> wait, wait. Did you say this is a better movie than Iron Man? Did I catch that right? I don't enjoy it more, but I think this is a better movie than Iron Man. I don't enjoy it more, but it's better. What? The reason I love doing the show genuinely is because you guys would agree, being as close friends as we have been for so long and in high school living in a town where really a movie theater was our only escape. We saw movies every week. We've seen hundreds and hundreds of movies together, if not like a thousand. There are so few movies that I don't know your guys' opinion on. So I'm, I'm shocked right now. I don't think we've ever talked about this movie. <laughs> and uh, I genuinely loved it. And Keith is in the middle and Austin hates it. And I, I'm surprised. I didn't, I didn't think you guys would be as high on it as me, but I, I'm, I'm definitely equally surprised that you didn't like it to that degree. All right, so let's go ahead now and get into our movie facts. Matt, take it away with our cast and crew. This movie was directed by Louis Leterrier, and this guy has an interesting uh, collection of films. You might know him from directing the first two Transporter movies, Clash of the Titans, Now You See Me, and Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And apparently this guy came close to directing Iron Man, but the studio chose Jon Favreau. And because they chose Jon Favreau, I guess they liked this guy enough to give him the follow-up. They gave him Incredible Hulk, uh, but not Iron Man. The screenplay was by Zach Penn, who... Crazy. E equally interesting filmography here. This guy wrote or had a story credit on Men in Black, Inspector Gadget, Charlie's Angels, Behind Enemy Lines, X-Men 2 and 3, The Avengers, Ready Player One, Free Guy, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, and The Matrix 4. What? <laughs> Weird. Uh, of course, we'll talk about it. Edward Norton apparently had equally as much of a writing credit that he wasn't credited for, but whole another story. Uh, the movie score was composed by Craig Armstrong, and the characters are based on those created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. As for our cast, we have Edward Norton as Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, with Lou Ferrigno providing the voice of the Hulk, as he usually does. 
Liv Tyler as Betty Ross, Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. Abomination, Tim Blake Nelson as Samuel Stearns, Ty Burrell as Leonard Sampson, of course, his uh, pre-modern family days, and the legendary William Hurt as General Thunderbolt Ross. And this last one, not a big one. I don't even know if they said anything, but pretty interesting. I thought it was fun. Martin Starr from Freaks and Geeks plays Roger Harrington. And this is the younger version of the teacher he would later play in Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home. So his little cameo in this movie actually does end up paying off in 10 years, like after this movie came out. So I thought that was kind of fun. So my friends, based on your thoughts of this movie, I have no idea what you're about to say. I'm very curious. Maybe we didn't like the story, whatever it may be. But as for the cast and crew, give me your highlights or what you didn't like. I guess I'll, I can kick us off, I guess. Um... I think the only saving grace for this movie is Edward Norton. I don't, there's a couple things about his character that I, I don't enjoy, but I think for the most part, he does actually nail the Bruce Banner stuff pretty well. Other than that, though, that's kind of it for me. Liv Tyler, who is an incredible actress, looks like she just woke up in every scene she's in. Uh, Tim Roth just plays a typical, like, hard-headed soldier. The general's not very exciting. I want to shave the mustache off his face. Weird mustache. I'll agree with you there. The Abomination and Hulk stuff I don't think looks too great. So for me, the only thing I can really shout out is Edward Norton. You know, one of the main things in my mind when I was watching this movie is how kind of an oddball of a cast this feels like. And maybe mm-hmm. maybe you guys might feel differently than I do. I don't know. I just felt like, I don't know. It just feels different from the rest of the Avenger cast that we see in, in, in the uh, rest of the M- MCU movies. But uh, I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's just it just pulls these different, char- or these different actors out that we don't ever really maybe ever see again. Maybe that's why. Uh, yeah, Edward Norton. I like Edward Norton as well. Um, and I, I do like Tim Roth. I just don't know if this was the right role for him. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe it was. I don't know. I just I think I need to see more to really know. Because I do think everything had potential, but I just it never really played out for me. That's all I'll say in the cast. Yeah, and, and it's a hard question to broach, but in a weird way, it's like... Because think about Iron Man. When you think about that ensemble cast, I mean, we even talked about it last time. The only good one is Robert Downey Jr. I'm not saying the performances were bad, but we, we even talked about how the side characters are used really kind of poorly in that movie. But the reason we think about Pepper Potts, Rhodey, or whatever characters differently is because they've been in like 15 movies since then. So it's hard to like distinguish that versus how they were in the first movie. And Keith, you make a great point. It's such a weird cast, but I wish we could have seen more of them because I feel like it would be the same thing, regardless of whether or not you like this movie. I think they picked the right actors to betray these characters, and I would have loved to have seen more. But yeah, my highlights, I definitely agree, even with Austin there. Um, Edward Norton's the standout, as he should be, you know, playing the Hulk and the main character. And I love how, I love his Bruce Banner. And maybe I'm a sucker for it. I'm I'm a huge fan of Mark Ruffalo, but just being a fan of the comics and the video games and just other media, Edward Norton as kind of the deceptively muscular but kind of just scrawny Bruce Banner that's what I see like they he looks like the character I picture in my head Mark Ruffalo doesn't at all and I love Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk but it's not the look at all to me um yeah I mean I, I don't have much else to say I really like Liv Tyler in the movie so I guess I disagree there and I think their chemistry is actually great I really do love the interplay between Bruce Banner and Betty Ross and Tim Roth as Emil Blonsky I love Tim Roth as an actor. There's definitely issues with the character, but 
I mean, I can't really even say what I think of him as abomination. I, I do like him as a, in his human form. And yeah, I like William Hurt as well. Ty Burrell and Tim Blake Nelson kind of pop up really quickly. So not too much to say there. I think they I, I think they fulfill their purpose, but their purpose is a bit weird, especially Ty Burrell, who's in like two scenes kind of, but it always feels like he's looking off camera. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like his face is never fully in, 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 in the frame. It's funny you brought that up because I was actually going to make a joke about it looks like people are reading scripts because you you said that guy looks like he's like reading off camera. Yeah, it looks like a lot of these people are looking off camera. And and the, when I was watching this movie, I was literally picturing somebody with a giant board with their lines on it, just like. <laughs> and you know why, Austin? It. It's because Edward Norton rewrote the scenes every day, so they were like, I don't remember any of this. <laughs> that scene, whenever Tyburell's staring off, he's like. No wonder she never talked about you. Oh my god! Now so I know bad. why. And then, and then William Hurt, an Oscar winner, has to say under his breath, "Where did she find these guys?" It's like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, so so there's our cast and crew and some of the highlights. Uh, Keith, why don't you take it away with our fun facts and production stories today? So let's get into the casting of Bruce Banner. So yeah, Louis Leterrier, he wanted Mark Ruffalo for the role of Bruce Banner for this movie, but Marvel insisted on Edward Norton, and then obviously Ruffalo would go on to replace him. That worked out incredibly well for Mark Ruffalo, because it could have been reversed. Oh, Mark Ruffalo does point. this movie, and Edward, Nort- Edward <laughs> yeah. Norton then does the MCU. Good point. And to get into who else was considered for the role of Bruce Banner is pretty interesting. Nicolas Cage again? <laughs> so you know that Eric Bana played him in the 2003 Hulk. Mm. So this was, I guess, a spiritual sequel to that before the script got rewritten. So they had asked Eric Bana to come back. Two other people that were considered, David Duchovny and Dominic Purcell. What the fuck? Yeah, Dominic Purcell, L- uh, Lincoln, from, Lincoln from Prison Break, from Prison Break was considered. Michael, Michael. Michael. Where's my son, LJ? <laughs> Dominic Purcell would have been terrible. I, I'm a big David Duchovny fan. I think he probably would have played a pretty good uh, Bruce Wayne, for sure. He probably would have made a good Bruce Banner as well. <laughs> oh, sorry, Bruce Banner. My bad. So the third one, which is the weirdest one, Matthew McConaughey no! auditioned for the role of Bruce Banner. Wait, in this movie? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love McConaughey, but that is not the role for him. We need him in the Marvel Universe, but not as the Hulk. So, yeah. sorry, Matthew. The biggest drama with this movie, which you've already kind of touched on, is that Edward Norton rewrote the script. So Norton's writing credit was later denied by the Writers Guild of America, and Zach Penn is the only writer credited. So pissed him off pretty good. He is quoted saying, A movie is a sum of compromises until you grow into your own independence. I always try to bring the character and actor forward. It's very obvious in The Incredible Hulk. The first half of the movie is really mine, and the second half is the studio's expected Hulk movie. Two giants kicking each other's ass. So he's basically saying there that he tried to add all of like the character development stuff. Exactly. And then the, the studio came in and was like, well, really, we just want the two big green and gray things to hit each other a lot. And so that's what they did in the second half. So I saw that at the Comic-Con leading up to this movie, no joke, Edward Norton said at, at, like in public that he wrote the movie. <laughs> Edward Norton just shows up to a, an event with thousands of people like, yeah, I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> and Terrence Howard shows up with uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. 
And then, like, they have this cool back and forth, but then Terrence Howard and Edward Norton kind of break off afterwards to go to a bar. They invited RDJ and Mark Ruffalo to come, but they didn't show. Maybe they could make their own comedy about being recast in superhero Dude, movies. Dude, that's such a great premise for a movie. Not even in Marvel, wow. just, like, they're two actors that got recast by other people. <laughs> they have to do a comedy together. That's a great pitch. That's a good idea. Unfortunately, though, once we pitch it, Edward Norton's going to rewrite it. <laughs> <laughs> As for why Edward Norton is recast, I've seen a million different things. I guess the important thing now is that Edward Norton holds no ill will towards Marvel or Kevin Feige. Like, he's even said that he got along really well with Kevin Feige. So, yeah, I've seen things where, like, the money didn't work out. I mean, the most bold thing I saw, granted it was almost 15 years ago now, but the statement that Marvel gave after casting Mark Ruffalo was, our decision is definitely not one based on monetary factors, but instead rooted in the need for an actor who embodies the creative and collaborative spirit of our other talented cast members. So kind of throwing shade at Edward Norton because they felt that he wasn't really down for their process. He wanted to be in the movies, but he wanted to do it his way. So it sounds like they kind of jived not so well. But then again, like I said, I've also seen statements that they got along really well. So it's hard to say why it didn't work out. And I actually saw something, too, about how whenever that statement from Marvel came out, Edward Norton's team then responded and said that Kevin Feige was borderline offensive to Edward Norton when they had conversations and that it was Edward Norton who chose to no longer want to work with Kevin Feige. Yeah. And you know what? It's it's a weird thing to mention, but you have to keep in mind and think about it. Think about the MCU phase one. Robert Downey Jr., I mean, this guy was an Oscar-nominated actor, but he was down on his luck more so than any actor in the business. He was a nobody, basically, when he was cast as Iron Man. Chris Hemsworth was a nobody as well. Chris Evans, you knew him from Human Torch. Fantastic Four movies that nobody gave a shit about. The biggest star that they cast right away was Edward Norton. The guy was huge in 2008. He was Oscar-nominated multiple times. This guy was a big star. So the idea of them trying to kick off a franchise and him kind of like, well, we got to do it this way. It's like he had more pull. So I kind of get it. But at the same time, I can see Marvel's standpoint where I guess we should have found somebody more willing to collaborate because apparently he was not that guy. It's nice that they've kind of apparently made amends. But yeah, it, it sounds like at the time it wasn't a very easy process. I can kind of see it, too, from Marvel's side, too, because you really do need people who are willing to kind of buy into the Marvel formula. And yeah. if you're Edward Norton at the time and, and you are this this rising star, this powerhouse, this Oscar actor, you probably do think in your head that you have a lot more pull than you do and that you should probably be the focus of the movie and the projects. It's like they only had room for one Robert Downey Jr. slash Edward Norton. I think they're kind of like the same personality in a way. Like they both had that take charge personality. Where, like that. you said, like you yeah. said, Robert Downey Jr. was not as big, but then he got big after Iron Man, so he had more uh, leverage in as far as controlling the movies and all that. But I guess Edward Norton, they just didn't want to give him that power. That's a I great point, Keith. That's a great point because think about it. Iron Man two didn't come out until two years after this movie, and that point they're well bought into the Robert Downey Jr. business. So it's almost like if Edward Norton's Hulk had come out a few years later, I think they would have put up with his bullshit. And they would have paid him the money. They would have given him the access to like rewrite and do whatever he wanted. But because he started so early in the MCU, I think they were like, well, we can't do that. Because you're right. RDJ, the amount of money he makes and the pull he has, they don't care because people love him. So I think they would have probably put up with it if it had not been so early in the MCU. 
Well, and we'll talk about it in a second, but they were also probably looking at box office numbers of Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. And uh, Incredible Hulk was a success, but nowhere near the box office success that Iron Man became. Yeah. Makes sense. And it's a shame because I guess the one part I will disagree with, Keith, is I don't think they bring the same energy on screen. That's what I would say. Oh, of course and not. Yeah. Dude, I mean, I got, we'll talk about it later, but I can really see some amazing scenes with Robert Downey Jr. and Edward Norton playing off each other. I feel like Edward Norton's a really good straight man. I think that could have been really interesting to see them kind of have that like improv energy and then like the kind of just the wall he's talking to. I think that could have been pretty cool. I, I, I can kind of picture it too, which is kind of sad, but you know, whatever. So at an hour and 52 minutes, this is the shortest film in the MCU. Really? Yep. This is the shortest wow. one. You feel every minute of this one. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. So let's dive into the critical reception. Let's take it back into the year 2008, one month after the release of Iron Man. Crazy, right? I mean, that alone. One month later. Wow. So The Incredible Hulk would release to theaters on June 13th, 2008. It would make $264 million worldwide against a $150 million budget. So it was a success, but certainly not the smash hit that was Iron Man. Um, And the film currently has a 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. At the time, it did actually receive a fairly positive critical response. Um, I think it might be worth remembering, though, that this is the era of summer action movies. And it does seem like a lot of the critics were viewing it through that lens. For example, Variety called it a perfectly serviceable summer blockbuster. Okay, good to know. So for the things critics liked, uh, they called it superior to Ang Lee's Hulk in almost every way. They praised the film's visuals and the fact that it was lighter and faster paced than what we have gotten from Hulk projects in the past. They applauded the decision to do away with the backstory and liked that the film starts with the origin already established. And then some negatives from the critics were, the film spends too much time relying on CGA-laden action sequences, Edward Norton was not given an opportunity to delve into the inner conflict between Bruce Banner and the Hulk. When compared against other superhero films, the movie feels generic and doesn't bring anything new to the table. And then my favorite zinger from the New York Times, a better title would have been The Adequate Hulk. (laughs) Nice. What stands out to you, Keith? Anything that you agree or disagree with there? Yeah, the last thing you said, The Adequate Hulk. I mean, that's kind of what I said earlier. This movie was just okay. There were some things I liked about it, didn't like about it. It's just okay. Like, I think there were some things they did okay with the Hulk and Bruce Banner. I think the the things they did with Bruce Banner was better than the Hulk. But yeah, I'll just say that there was a lot of things I think they should have developed in this one that they didn't. Um, and they just kind of felt rushed to me. I think the biggest thing I agree with is that it does feel super generic to me. And uh, it's I guess it's not the fact that I, like, hate every scene in this movie. I just think this movie is so boring. And for a movie about the Hulk... And like these crazy action sequences, like none of that really entertained to me. The, the thing I found the most interest, interesting in this film was Edward Norton as Bruce Banner. And I, I actually do agree with the critics that they really, he's really not given a chance to delve into that inner conflict between Bruce Banner and then his alter ego, the Hulk. So that was kind of the thing I feel like is missing from this movie. Yeah, I don't know. I, um, I agree with some of that. I disagree with some of it, with what the critics are saying. I think it's definitely uh, a fun blockbuster. So I, w- I would agree with that. I guess I would disagree. I don't know. For me, kind of the inner struggle with the Hulk and Bruce Banner kind of worked for me. We'll talk about that later. And again, it's also that weird thing if they never really got a sequel and in the Avengers movies, they do try and further this more. So I guess in retrospect, they handled it. But in this one, if you're trying to isolate it, maybe they didn't. So I don't know. For me, I thought it was fun. I love the performances. And I think I just really like the story they chose. My biggest compliment there is... 
I totally agree. I'm so glad this movie wasn't just like 45 minutes of an origin story. They literally put the origin story in the opening credits just as a montage. And I think they gave us enough of it where I was like, okay, I get it. And now I kind of like what they chose to do after that. So that's the best thing I can say. I had a good time without feeling like they had to tell me every single thing about this guy's life. I actually do really agree. I, w- I was surprised with how that opening sequence played out in the opening credits. And, and I think you're right. I think it's just enough because everyone kind of knows the story of the Hulk at this point with how many projects we've had. We've had a couple of movies now, an animated show. So I think it was a really smart decision actually to skip all that. But Matt, speaking of all that, do you want to take us into our plot summary? So like you said, this movie doesn't give us too much of the backstory on Bruce Banner, which I actually also appreciated. We do get some flashbacks, though, here and there that set up how he ended up in Brazil. So Austin, your job today is to tell me the events that led to Bruce Banner becoming the Hulk and a fugitive from the United States. All right. So taking their inspiration from first person shooters, we get a first person view of Bruce Banner sitting in a lab chair. He appears to get injected with some type of serum. He then transforms into the Hulk, damages everybody in the lab, puts Liv Tyler in the hospital, gets a stern talking to from her father, the general. And then I think that's pretty much it. Flees the country after that. I like it. Very good, Austin. Very good indeed. Now, Keith, I challenge you with something maybe a little bit harder. I guess we'll see. So I'm going to pass the baton to you. Take me through the first half of this movie. I will give you this parameter. From the opening in Brazil through the Hulk transformation and battle scene at Culver University that you mentioned earlier. And also, you only get 30 seconds. Ready? Go! We open up with him living in the ghettos of Brazil, working at a soda factory. He spills blood in one of the drinks and kills Stan Lee. He is the only gringo at the factory, so he gets picked <laughs> <laughs> so he gets picked on by the locals, which then tests his ability to keep his pulse down. Then the military finds out where he is and chases him down. He then goes back home to the U.S. to find his old doctor lover Ten seconds. and find Mr. Blue to help him. Then he gets into a fight in the university in the quad, and all the university students are somehow not there anymore, and all these Humvees come out of nowhere <laughs> and start shooting at him. Time. Perfect, Keith. Great job. Great job, as always. All right. I'll try and take us home here and cover the second half, but I leave it up to you guys. Give me a restriction. It can be time-based, number of sentences, or anything else that comes to mind. You get three sentences, and you have to do it in your Tony Stark impression. Oh, okay. All right, dude, here's the deal. I found Mr. Blue, and I thought he was a good guy, but it turns out he likes my blood too much. And then Tim Roth is covered in sweat and tries to shoot all my friends, and then is like, hey, man, I really like that Hulk's power. Can I have some of it? And then I was like, wow, we're fighting in the street, and I didn't think I would win, but I did and said Hulk smash. But then I was like, bye, Liv Tyler, I have to go to the woods. <laughs> you nailed it. Perfect. Hell Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's our plot summary. I think we nailed it as always. So let's get into our roundtable discussion now. Who wants to kick us off today? I will start us off. So let's start the beginning of this discussion by starting at the very beginning of the movie. Mm. With the opening montage giving us a brief summary of how Bruce became the Hulk. Uh, I know we touched on it a little bit already, but I want you guys to kind of break it down for me in more detail of what your thoughts were 
I mean, did this work for you guys with Bruce already being established as a Hulk? Or would you have preferred more of an origin story? Right off the bat, after the origin story, this is where I'm questioning things with this movie. If this guy is so concerned about hulking out, why would he go to one of the most densely populated areas in the world, being the favelas in Brazil? Good point. Didn't think about that. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> okay. You think you'd go to like, to like the Maldives resorts or something like that? Yeah, exactly. That's actually a really good point. I did not think of that. I guess you could make the argument that he might want to be in a populated place to avoid like being found. But again, he is the Hulk, so he is dangerous when in populated places. So that's a very good point. I did not think of that. As for me, we kind of already said it. I really do like this movie was, you know what? Whether or not you know the Hulk backstory or not, we're just not going to do it. We're just going to tell a story that takes place after that. But at the same time, it still gives you elements of the origin in the sense that it's only five years after that. And it's clear that he isn't turning into the Hulk a lot. So I do like that they kind of avoided all the exposition you get with origin stories and a lot of MCU origin stories that we'll be talking about in phase one as well. But um, yeah, they kind of also gave us post everything. So it's like this story is about him trying to get home to get the data to try and cure himself and all the kind of villains he runs to along the way. And of course, his uh, old love interest that falls back in love with him. And it's so beautiful, isn't it? So, but yeah, to answer your question, I like that this one kind of took the Spider-Man homecoming route, which was like, you guys get it. You know how it happened. We're not going to waste over an hour telling you that again. Yeah, I think this was smart too. It it really was kind of being ahead of the trends where now like nobody wants origin stories anymore. Back in 2008, like origin stories are kind of all the rage. So I, th- I think it was a smart move, especially for this being a Hulk property to really, it's, it's a pretty simple origin story too. So you don't need a whole movie dedicated to it. So I actually do think this was a pretty smart move. The flashes they do give us are kind of interesting to me. I do like seeing how it happened. I think they give us just enough for it to make sense, where it's like he had this idea. General Ross says at one point that it was Banner's, I guess you could say, arrogance. Like he thought he was so right about it that he made himself the test subject. So that's kind of interesting. It goes wrong. He kills people, which we should mention. The Hulk, it's not like he injured people. He does accidentally kill people in that process. And then, of course, injures Betty and General Ross. So... Yeah, I thought it was pretty effective. So it kind of sets up why he is isolating himself and trying his hardest to train his, uh, I guess, heartbeat, whatever you want to say, to not transform. And I kind of like those scenes at the beginning, too. So, yeah, I thought it was interesting. I'm glad that they just kind of skipped all that and just jumped into this, this story that we got here. Although, we, you know, I do have flaws with the story we got. But, yeah, I mean, it's not really that interesting either. Just like yeah, gam- gamma really. radiation, whatever. Um, and it's more interesting trying to figure out like how to control it and all that, so, which is what we do get in this movie and we get later on in the Avenger movies. So yeah, I'm cool with it. Just showing it as a quick montage, just kind of, just kind of bring you up to speed. And I did like that they did make an effort to that point, Keith, that it is kind of a boring origin story, but they did try and tie the villain plot into that, which is basically General Ross had his own motivation of trying to weaponize this, and he didn't tell Banner that, whereas Banner is under the impression that what his experiment is doing is to, like, eradicate disease and solve this gamma issue. And then, of course, yeah, like I said, we find out later that the super soldier program kind of factored in. So I do like the aspect that Hulk has similar powers that Emil Blonsky later gets, even when he's in a human form. Like, he's faster, he can, like, jump higher, the agility's increased, he's stronger. So I like that they kind of 
tease that super soldier element, which of course pays off in a big way with Captain America. So I kind of liked how they tied in the villain with that. And like he didn't tell Banner and he was using him. So there was some interesting elements there for me. But on that note, how dumb is Bruce Banner? Why would he think a military general has any like know. any jurisdiction in, in working to cure diseases? Why would this guy not want it in any other purpose than to use it for the military? I'll tell you why. You know why, Austin? Do you why? love your father-in-law? Yeah, actually. I have a great relationship with my father-in-law. I know you do. I think Bruce Banner is just down for whatever General Ross says. He's a smart guy, but you know what? He knows he doesn't like him. He knows he doesn't like him fondling his daughter, Betty Ross, a.k.a. Liv Tyler. So he's like, you know what? I'm down. We'll work together on this project. That way you'll like me. So he's trying to get that angle in there. Well, they never say it, so you can't make excuses for the movie. <laughs> fair enough. Very fair. Very fair. <laughs> so how do you guys feel about the balance between Bruce Banner and the Hulk in this movie? Um I Like I've kind of said, I really do think the only redeeming quality about this movie is Edward Norton as Bruce Banner. Um, and I, I think the Bruce Banner stuff, they actually do nail for the most part in this one. The Hulk stuff is where I have the biggest issue with this movie. I, I think it's pretty bad, and, and I almost think it's actually worse than bad. I think a lot of the Hulk stuff is really boring in this one. Um, and I think the biggest issue is that the Hulk really isn't his own character in this movie. It really just exists to be a big green guy to Hulk out and kind of cause some conflict for Bruce Banner. But I really think, I think the smartest thing the MCU has done with the Hulk is kind of make it its own personality and kind of a separate character in addition to Bruce Banner. So what do you guys think about that? Did you guys like the balance between Bruce Banner and the Hulk in this one? I really love the setup for the Hulk. I want to start with that. It kind of, uh, this is such a weird movie to think of, but it reminded me a little bit of 2014's Godzilla, where everybody had problems with like, God, they're setting up this character, but he's only in the very end. That's kind of lame. I do like that they made a point here to not show the Hulk, except for that one face reveal in the factory until halfway through the movie with the Culver University fight. So I, I did like how they presented the reveal of the Hulk, if you will. As for the relationship between them, yeah, I think there's more to be desired for sure. But at the same time, the critics saying that there is nothing there, I disagree with. I did like some of the elements of Bruce Banner talking to Betty Ross about how, for him, he only remembers flashes. And whenever she's like, well, I think there is some of that in you. He's like, no, no, this is a weapon. It's disgusting. It's like he's repulsed by the Hulk. So in a, in a way, I do like how it sets up the future where he comes to accept the Hulk. So I, th I like that aspect. It starts off in the natural place for me. But at the same time, I, I, I don't know. I guess it just worked for me. I liked how Bruce Banner is as a character and how different the Hulk is as this huge monster. But then you get the elements of that character in the cave with Betty and how it is kind of this thing that is afraid and has feelings. It's not just a monster that punches things. There is more to it. Now, did I want even more? Of course. But I do think there is more to it than people give it credit for sometimes. So I guess what I'm saying is it gave me enough to enjoy and find a difference in the Bruce Banner and Hulk characters. But it it kind of sounded to me, though, like a lot of the things that were your highlights there, though, was the Bruce Banner side of that relationship. Oh, yeah. The Bruce Banner is my favorite, to be clear, to be fair. Yeah, that is my favorite side of it. I just I guess I just like the Hulk stuff, too, but not as much. Even the, even the scene you called out with the cave. That's really just played for laughs. He bonks his head on the ceiling and growls at lightning. Like it, they still perceive him as an animal and like this big green monster. Like, I don't think the Hulk actually has any like actual character scenes in this movie. I literally think he's just there to be a, a fun thing to watch crush buildings on screen, like a rampage movie. Well, I mean, I, I, I did kind of like it, though. I mean, I, I like the aspect of her saying it's just rain. And watching his reaction, of course, you have to credit the uh, CGI team and like the motion capture team. 
But the look on his face and the way he sits down kind of patiently, like, this is really scary for me, but this person's telling me it's okay, so it's like, I guess it's okay. I do like the idea of the Hulk as this kind of infant in a way that just has this incredible power. So it gave it, it gave enough for me. I, I liked it. And the, the other scene I would call out is I do like when he transforms against his will at the beginning in the bottling factory. And there is that it's hard to catch. I caught it this time, but whenever he's in the dark and everybody's about to shoot him, he, you, he does say, leave me alone. So I do like I do like that, too. It's like he doesn't want to be transforming. It's almost like the Hulk doesn't even want to be the Hulk. He's like, leave me alone. I don't want to be this thing. Um, but I have to because I have no other choice, apparently. So, again, it's not perfect, but there's enough elements for me to find the character stuff for the Hulk, I guess is what I'm saying. I think that's also the conflict though, that I'm missing, though. It's like I like the fact that with the Mark Ruffalo Hulk, that the Hulk wants out. The Hulk wants control of the body and Mark right. Ruffalo wants to keep him in. So I like that they're kind of both pushing and pulling to try and gain control of of the body that they're both inhabiting. I like the scenes where uh, he goes to the uh, like jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu school. Yeah. And he's like doing the breathing techniques with the instructor. And he's yeah. trying to like, get oh, his pulse great. to go down. Yeah, and I like him tracking his heart rate um, on the watch too. The watch, like yeah. I, I like that they had this element where they established like at 200 he transforms. So you as the audience can watch that and kind of be like nervous for him too. Like, I like all that stuff. I think that's cool. And I think it is really great for Bruce Banner. My biggest issue is was once again, though, just I think the Hulk is really kind of underused and underdeveloped in this one. That's fair. I mean, definitely not used very much. Like I said, it, it, the character stuff for the Hulk was enough for me, but it is only a few scenes in the grand scheme of things when we see the Hulk. Uh, we've talked a lot about um, kind of the... Bruce Banner Hulk relationship. Let's talk about another relationship, guys. I, I kind of mentioned it a bit at the top, but I want to get your thoughts. How'd you feel about the Bruce Banner Betty Ross relationship, especially coming off the fact that we talked a lot about the Tony Stark Pepper Potts relationship last time around? So how did this one work for you? I mean, I liked it. Too bad we don't really don't get more of it after this movie. I guess I just think it's generic. Like I don't think it's I don't think it's like bad, I guess. I yeah. I don't think these two really have any chemistry, but I think it's exactly what you would expect from the Betty Ross character. Like I I don't think their relationship like surprised me in any way or really like they didn't like do anything with their relationship that I thought was like unique or like outstanding. Yeah, I guess cuz we already had like a the an origin before this that we're supposed to know from the montage thing that they're supposed to be pretty close. So maybe since we didn't get that, it's automatically, it's just, you're just supposed to assume that they're really close together. It really seems like they're going for the King Kong uh, damsel in distress relationship in this one. A little bit with the Hulk aspect, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's a great point, Keith, because that aspect of it did work for me. I really feel like these two characters have known each other for a very long time. And especially in the second half of the movie, they struck me as characters that had dated before and now are in this weird position of, I mean, we're not technically now, but it, it, it ended in a way where we're still in love with each other. So it's like, how do we navigate that? So like whenever he's at her house and it's like, how do we, how does this work? And then whenever I'm like, they're kind of like on the run at the motel, it kind of advances. So it actually really works for me. I like their chemistry a lot. And they, unlike the uh, Tony Stark, Pepper Potts thing, they did lean into, this is a relationship. This is not this weird, like, will they, won't they? And it actually really worked for me. I like Liv Tyler. I liked Edward Norton. And I did think they had chemistry. So that was a pretty big aspect of the movie. So luckily it worked for me. So, yeah. Normally, I'm not one for very long movies. And I think, you know, I kind of 
uh, talked about this a little bit earlier, but this one did feel a bit rushed. I mean, it felt like they really didn't cover a lot of ground as far as progressing the story, moving into the other Marvel movies. I mean, this really did kind of feel like a quote-unquote independent film, and maybe not, maybe not in a good way in the sense that we all agreed that Iron Man could be on its own or with the Marvel Universe. It feels like Marvel trying to make a movie before they knew how to make good Marvel movies. I just think everything about this movie feels different than the rest of the MCU. Like you kind of mentioned, Keith, I think all this cast feels like they don't belong in the MCU. I think even just the way this movie looks doesn't feel like a typical MCU movie. The comedy doesn't really hit for me either. So I just think there's a lot of things in this movie that make it feel like it's outside of the MCU. For me, that's okay, though, because this was the second one. And it was made at the same time as Iron Man, so it came out immediately after. They didn't know what the universal tone would be yet. I understand your point, and I agree with it. This one does feel so different, looking back on it after seeing 20-plus MCU movies and projects. But I guess, for me, I kind of appreciated it. I liked that it did feel more about delving into this whole Bruce Banner as a character. And, yeah, it just worked for me. Like I said, the tone does feel... Like, it puts itself in a place outside of the MCU in a weird way. Like, if this was revealed to be kept by, like, by Kevin Feige, that one's not in the MCU. That was just, like, a weird fluke. It's not canon. I would go, okay, that makes sense. But at the same time, I guess I kind of like how it does fit in with, like, some of the character crossovers, the relationships. Because we usually get some really cool MCU relationships later that do feel like they might have taken bits and pieces from the friendships and romantic connections in this one. So there, there are elements that I think they carried over. But yeah, overall, it does feel very different and has an independent feel, especially in the first half. But I guess it worked for me. I don't know. Okay, so let's get into some villain talk. Uh, General Ross, of course, is our main antagonist. And then Emil Blonsky, Abomination, is our obligatory CGI secondary villain. Uh, were either one of these guys enjoyable to you two? For me personally, I'm so glad we are past the era of like stubborn military men or our big bad boys for these movies. Like, I'm glad that we have at least tried to kind of go with like more interesting comic book villains for some of our future movies. I guess I kind of set it up a little bit earlier. I feel like this is a weird thing to say, but I believe it. This is how you do shallow villains really well to me. Emil Blonsky, Abomination. Like Austin said, clearly set up to be the obligatory CGI villain that has to kind of become a Hulk so that he can physically fight Hulk. That's the point of the character. That being said, I really like that he's like, yeah, I'm getting older. I have this great mind. I feel like I understand what I want to do, but I don't have the body that I used to have. If I could combine those things, that would be amazing. And General Ross is like, I can help you with that. And so watching him transform and like relying on this serum, taking it too many times, turns him into this thing. And after encountering the Hulk, this he feels like a guy that has never been beaten before, right? And the fact that the Hulk keeps beating him, he's like, I want to be like him. And it, and it culminates him in him becoming the abomination and we get the CGI fight. Whether or not we like it, that character actually kind of works for me. Is there a lot of depth? No, but there's enough. Unlike Obadiah Stane, who is just like, we are just confused during the third act. Why is he doing what he's doing? Whereas with Emil Blonsky, it's like, the guy wants power. He wants a younger body. He wants a stronger body. Is it stupid? Sometimes. Works enough. And then General Ross, I think it's kind of the same thing. Is it also stupid? Is there enough of it? No. But I like that this guy 
was using Bruce Banner. He's trying to create weapons. He discovers the Hulk accidentally, and he's like, that's the property of the U.S. government. We're going to utilize that. And he's trying to track this guy down. And then maybe even digging a bit deeper, it's like, why is he doing what he's doing to Bruce Banner, who clearly has run away, hasn't been a threat to him for multiple years? Probably because he was like, how is this guy affiliated with my daughter at all? I don't talk to my daughter anymore, so you know what I can do? I can fucking kill Bruce Banner. So, look, is there a lot of depth to these characters? No, but there's enough, and it always makes sense to me when they kind of introduce it. So that's the only good things I can say about these characters. For, for me, I guess the, the thing I need with Blonsky is I need more scenes showing him being this badass soldier who is being held back by his body. Like, we don't mm. really have any of that. Like I don't, I don't have any reason to believe that this guy's a good soldier. His opening scene, he gets outsmarted by a homeless Bruce Banner. I don't have any reason to believe that this guy's a great soldier. And then for General Ross, I'm just... I guess it's not really this movie's fault, but at this point, I have now seen so many of these comic book movies where we have the stubborn military guy that... The second that character is introduced, I'm already kind of done with it and off board because I just I find that type of villain so boring. I think I half agree, half disagree with you, Austin, on Neil Blonsky. I do think he, I think his presence does show that he is an experienced soldier. But that's just because they tell you. They just tell you it over a phone call. They're like, we've got this guy on loan from Russia. He's a British special surgeon, all that stuff. But he looks so badass, Keith. It's Tim Roth. He looks so badass. He has the hair flip. He has the hair that hangs down when it's wet. That's how you know they're badass. <laughs> so the way Tim Roth plays him, just kind of yeah, he just feels like he has some history and experience, and he's like this like special ops guy. I, I buy that. I do buy that. But what I don't buy is that he's like willing to kill innocent people in order to become a god, as he put it. That I did not buy. So I'm with you on that. This guy's a career soldier. So he, he has to have some semblance of like honor and like protecting people. And then he's just like willing to throw that away at the first sniff of power. Like it just seems like such a quick turn. I think there's an argument to be made whenever he first takes it. There's a reason, right? It's like he, I, I love actually, I actually love the scene when he's like, how old are you, Blonsky, 45? And he's like, no, 39. He's like, oh, it takes a toll, doesn't it? He's like, yeah. And he's just saying, I wish I could have what I know now in a younger body. So there's a reason why he takes it at first. After that is where it gets a bit muddled. And I guess you have to argue that the serum is messing with him. I mean, he's like, he's in a sweat in like the second half of the movie. So I guess that's the argument is like, He's not thinking clearly. It's not it's not super well presented, but I, I, I liked him up until when he takes the first dose of the serum. I thought that made sense. But after that, not not so much. But it's but I think it's the fact that that Neil Blonsky like knew that that was like the outcome. That's a good point. That's a good point. He also is holding a gun to this innocent scientist telling sure. him to inject him, too. I agree. That's that, yeah, that's a good point. Again, I already kind of said it, but just my final point on Blonsky. Um, I do like the, I guess, trajectory of the character. Because again, I really like him in that first scene in in Brazil where he's like, what the fuck is happening? This is insane. And he's like to Ross, hey man, you need to like let people know on this team what's going down because that was crazy. So like, I like that. And then he takes the serum after all the stuff we've already talked about. And that made sense. And then he gets his ass kicked again whenever he gets too cocky because he can run fast and fight better now. And he gets kicked by the Hulk into a tree. Talk about that <laughs> I did scene. Like, I did I was like, like that Whoa, scene. That was crazy. And then, of course, he has like the healing factor now so he regenerates. 
But then it's like he's ready for round three. And I kind of like the way they showed him. Like he's not as muscular anymore. His spine is like protruding. He's always in this perpetual sweat. So I like that the serum is kind of like messing with him now. And I agree. It's like, would this guy point a gun at an innocent guy? No, probably not. But him wanting that power. And this guy, I think, did give us enough of like, I'm supposed to be super powerful now because of the serum. But this fucker keeps beating my ass. So I need to have that power so I can beat him. He does strike me as somebody that will refuse to lose. And now that he has twice, I kind of get why he would go all the way to become Abomination. Again, I know I'm reaching, but it's just enough of that that did work for me to kind of believe it. I guess I just think it would have been more interesting as this outside soldier comes on to General Ross's team. He's not one of General Ross's guy. Sure. He has this encounter with the Hulk. He realizes General Ross is lying about you know stuff that's been going on. And then he takes it upon himself to kind of work to uncover the truth and in a way end up kind of defending the Hulk. I think that would have been a way more interesting arc for Emil Blonsky's character. I, I don't know enough about this character in Marvel to know if that's the type of character that he typically would be. But I, I, I guess that's kind of where I was hoping his arc was headed, especially when he does have that confrontational scene with General Ross. And then he just opted to go the, the CGI route instead. Your pitch for what would be more interesting is 100% more interesting. The problem is, Emil Blonsky, a.k.a. Abomination, is like one of the Hulk's most popular villains. So it's like, how do we introduce this character, give him an origin, and make him a villain? It's like, they never considered making him anything but that. So it's kind of one of those things that's tough with comics. It's like, how do we pay it off? So before we move on to the next point, I do want to cover one thing with you guys, and that is the Culver University scenes with them attacking Hulk. There was a lot of stuff in this scene that did make me laugh, but it was almost kind of necessary. Whenever General Ross comes out in the, the Humvee. We're the 50 cows! Yes. So he, he first says, open fire! And they're all shooting with their pistols and their rifles. Okay, that's not working. Bring out the 50 cows! Two Humvees, co two Humvees come out of the woods. Like they're fucking rally drivers, too. Bring out the cannons! <laughs> <laughs> and these two other Humvees come out of the same bushes. He watches Blonsky get kicked into a tree and goes, Fall back! <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was kind of necessary because it, it kind of validates Hulk's strength, I guess. You need him fighting off the military, but you don't need... General Ross standing in the background screaming at the top of his lungs like a scared civilian. Yeah, it's tough. I, I like this scene because I feel like that glass hallway where he breaks out is so cool and getting the full... That's a great shot. Yeah. yeah. Getting the full Hulk reveal for the first time is so awesome. But you guys are right. It would have been nice to just see Hulk fight as opposed to cutting back to William Hart going, Fire! Or, fall back! 50 cows, where are you? <laughs> like, we didn't, we didn't really need that. The sequence, though, does have Liv Tyler's best scene when oh. she's running towards Bruce Banner and then just decks that soldier in the face. That I was, like that, that was part. pretty that was awesome. <laughs> she just elbows him in the face. It's the only scene where she looks like she didn't just wake up from a nap. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about with WandaVision and Iron Man that things got worse towards the third act and just the ending in general. So how did we feel about the third act here? With the visit to Stern's banner being captured, choosing to be the Hulk, fighting Abomination, and the epilogue. What did we think? Does this one follow the trend of bad third acts, or does this one feel a bit better to you? Uh, I actually thought it was pretty interesting how we talked about how 
Ed Norton said, like, I wrote the first half of the movie, and then the second half of the movie is a studio movie. I, I think you can definitely tell a shift in the second act, or in, in the second half of the movie, where they definitely were like, all right, we need we need a big CGI fight. Um, I don't think the fight between Hulk and Abomination is really that great. I think it wraps up way too easily with him just happening to get the chains around the neck. The doctor stuff, wanting to use it to cure disease, is kind of cool, but I really did not like the way that character was played. I like the scene where uh, Bruce Banner comes to terms with the fact that he is the only one that can like jump in to uh, like save the day. Like he has to kind of bring the Hulk back, if you will, to to fight off Abomination. But I don't know why he just like drops himself out of a plane. Like that seemed kind of over the top to me. I kind of like the plane drop scene, to be honest. It just seems like they were really setting this up to be like a really funny joke with him, like oh shit, That's as he's true. falling, That's and true. it just like it it just took me out of the seriousness of the scene. I agree with you there. I wasn't sure if that was supposed to laugh or be like, oh, no, in that scene. That's a, that's a good point. It would have been I, I cooler if he sure. would have turned into him on the way down. And he lands. He does like a superhero landing as the Hulk. They probably didn't have the CGI technology yet to have him change in midair. True. Um, yeah, there are cool elements to this third act, I got to say. I think it's definitely a better third act than Iron Man's um, because there's just so much confusion <laughs> during Iron Man's third act. I feel like you're just asking so many questions during that, whereas this was kind of cool. I agree with that. Some- yeah, they give you some payoffs. I love the scene, man. I love when Betty Ross tells her dad, like, I will never forgive you for what you did to him. And his response is only just, he's a fugitive. And she's like, well, you made him one. I'm like, I'm liking this payoff, man. And then the follow-up in the helicopter, which is them kind of standing in a triangle, and but Banner is saying it, which is, we created this thing together. I'm liking this payoff. You're, you're milking it, but I'm liking it. And, um... I gotta say, the fight works for me, and you guys know me. I'm not really big into, like, this CGI, like, fest. It doesn't usually work, but for whatever reason, this did. Maybe it was the presentation, like, in the streets of Harlem, like, watching them just run towards each other, and that there was more to it than just Tony Stark fighting another guy in an iron suit. I don't know. I guess I kind of liked how they moved locales during this. I liked how, like, Abomination kicks in, he flies through a building, they jump on their roof, they move, like, they move around, I guess... It was just more interesting to me. Are you are you saying all this though with the bar being the Iron Man fight? Because if that if that's the bar, it's not too hard to clear that. I guess I'm saying yeah. I mean sure because we are comparing it just naturally by this show. I am comparing it same with Wandavision, but yeah sure. In general, is it an amazing climactic scene? No, I don't think so. But I guess it's it's hard because we're we were so familiar with what the MCU is now in the years that have come. That it's like, when I watch this, it's like, this is actually, I know this is weird to say, but we're going to get to Captain America, we're going to get to Thor. I mean, this third act final fight is better than those. So it, it is interesting to compare, but I guess, I guess that's a good point. Is it better than like any other like crazy action movie finale? Probably not, but it worked for me enough. And I've said that enough times in this episode to know that I guess this movie just worked for me enough. Is it great? No. But it did just enough for me to go, I had fun. (laughs) It did kind of work for me. I mean, the Abomination thing was a little bit ridiculous sometimes, but, I mean, yeah, it wrapped up pretty fast. So my my biggest issue with the fight between him and Abomination is just that they don't introduce anything new for the Hulk to do. He does the same move in the Abomination fight that he does in the fight at the at the college where he he takes something snaps it in half and then he just punches with it and that's like really it like it it's just okay i guess like keith said like 
sure, the fight's better than the Iron Man fight. I'll, I'll give you that. The, the fight itself is. But I, I still don't think they had like a very creative way for the Hulk and the Abomination to really like have a great showdown. All they really do is climb some buildings, and then they wrap a chain around the Abomination, and that's kind of it. I think that's fair. I, the only argument I could make is I did like seeing the classic Hulk thunderclap to put out the fire that's engulfing the helicopter. Yeah, that was cool. And then the one moment, look, I know I'm a sucker for this kind of shit, but it worked for me. Whenever they drowned out the music and things look dire, uh, General Ross and Betty Ross have made it out of the helicopter alive. Abomination has now hit Hulk twice with this chain, and he's down for the count, and he's about to kill Ross. And he does a thing where he says, any last words? Music drowns out. Hulk gets up. Hulk smash. I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Nope. No, that didn't work for you? <laughs> no. Why oh, that I thought that was me? so cool. It's so cheesy. It's so campy. I mean, of course it is. <laughs> What do you think was better? What do you think was better? Him saying it there, Hulk smash, or Chris Evans saying it during the Avengers, like Hulk smash? Chris Evans, for sure. I think that's a better way to work that line in than just literally saying any last words, Hulk. And yeah, then Hulk, okay. who hasn't that's spoken the entire true. movie, yeah. happens to come up with Hulk smash. That's a good point. Okay, I agree with you guys. Chris Evans is better. So, of course, with the third act, I mean, I just I just want to get your final thoughts on the ending. So what do you guys think of the final scene with him kind of like doing the whole days without incident, but on purpose? And then I want to hear your guys' thoughts on the post credit with RDJ coming to talk to General Ross. Final scene is good. I don't have any issues with that. Makes way more sense that he'd go there instead of the favelas. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think it's kind of a cool payoff because him jumping out of the helicopter was a voluntary choice to become the Hulk. So I do like that the final scene is him kind of uh, transforming on purpose and with a more controlled environment. And like Austin said, maybe that was on purpose as well. The fact that he's not in a favela, the fact that he's by himself, it makes a bit more sense. So I, I really like that. But this post credit, this scene makes no sense when you think about the future context of the MCU. Like, we're not talking about Iron Man 2 yet. That's next time. But. Knowing what happens in that movie, Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark coming to somebody else saying, we're setting up a team. Makes no sense. That's not what happens. That being said, who cares? It's still fun seeing them interact. Clearly, General Ross knows Tony Stark. Like this scene, I was kind of giddy. Also begs the question, though, where the fuck is Iron Man when Abomination's running down the street? We'll save that conversation for phase two and three of the MCU when we ask the question repeatedly, where the hell are the other Avengers? We talked about WandaVision. Why don't people care about Wanda? So well, that's just the future MCU problem. I mean, we talked about Mark Ruffalo, which obviously we have to, but I'm going to pose the final question to you guys. Bruce Banner, aka the Hulk, Edward Norton plays him. Do we want him to be recast or... Do we want Edward Norton to stick it out all the way through? So I, I guess it might be worth kind of rephrasing the question a little bit, because we all love Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk. So if we say we don't want Edward Norton to be recast, then by default we're saying we we don't want Mark Ruffalo in the MCU. So it, it might be better saying, did Edward Norton deserve to be recast after this movie? And my answer, I think, would be no. He is he is the best part of the film, and I do ex I do like his Bruce Banner. I just don't like what they do with the Hulk. Very well said. I think I'm in agreement. Yeah. I think, I yeah, he's probably the best part of this movie, but I I like them both. I like, and for what I just said earlier, they both have their, Mark Ruffalo and Edward Norton both have their strengths and weaknesses. And I, I, yeah, I like them both. I really can't really pick between the two. 
Yeah, for me, it, it's a uh, it's hard to say. I mean, did he deserve it? It sounds like there was some shit behind the scenes. So who's to say? But from my perspective as a viewer, I don't think so at all. I thought he kind of knocked it out of the park in this movie. Even Austin, like you mentioned, like you didn't love this movie, but he was your favorite part. And I'm in agreement. I think he's so good in this. And it's weird because, like I said, we talked about Terrence Howard with Rhodey. Like we couldn't picture him flying around in the war machine armor, right? And here it's like, I can picture Edward Norton playing off Robert Downey Jr. Flash forward 10 years later, I can picture him like in this weird fish out of water story playing off of Chris Hemsworth and Thor Ragnarok. I think he could have knocked that aspect out of the park. And when the CGI advances for the Hulk aspect, it's like, well, we can't complain about that. So when it comes to Bruce Banner and that performance, I really think I would have loved to see more of it. But kind of speaking about the future of the MCU and how this all ties together, Disney Plus has announced they are doing a She-Hulk series, which is kind of like a a legal comedy that focuses on Bruce Banner's cousin that also ends up becoming a Hulk-like figure. In this show, she will be portrayed by Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black and Perry Mason, great actress. But Mark Ruffalo as Bruce Banner will be in it, along with... Tim Roth as Abomination and Liv Tyler as Betty Ross, both returning for the first time since this movie. Oh, the actors are returning too? Yeah. Oh, better have uh, plenty of coffee on set for Liv Tyler. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Any thoughts on that, guys? Because like like we said, it is weird that this movie does feel forgotten, but I do like that they are taking kind of bits and pieces that I guess they felt worked enough to bring them back. So I'm kind of excited. Where are the characters since then? Can we see Mark Ruffalo and Liv Tyler like seeing each other across a room and like them interacting like these lost like lovers? Like, will they reconnect again? Like, how does that work? I'm I'm very curious. It'll it'll be interesting to see what uh, this crew can do with a different team behind like directing, you know, like behind the camera and that sort of stuff, like different writers, all that. So I'm I'm interested for sure. A sequel to The Incredible Hulk would have been an interesting project. Just regardless of my thoughts on the first one, there is a way to kind of figure out the formula and, and come back with a better movie for the sequel. So I'll be interested to see this crew with a different team behind them. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. But of course, before we can get out of here today, we've got to do the Arnie's Podcast Awards. This is a segment where we give an award to anything in this episode. Keith, kick us off today. Well, I think as we know, I have the, I hold the most awards out of the three Arnie Arnie's <laughs> so far. I'm gonna give an award to Austin Terry. God damn it! For the most disappointed in a movie award. I wish I could say I accept this with pride and and a lot of fun, but really it was just a lot of drinking and a lot of sighing and disgust. <laughs> All right, my award today is going to William Hurt as General Thunderbolt Ross, and it is the best Sam Elliott cosplay award. Funny, funnily enough, Sam Elliott played the same character in Ang Lee's uh, The Incredible Hulk, but that's not why he's getting this award. It's for that damn mustache. You can tell he really wanted to imitate Sam Elliott, but instead, looks like a caterpillar. I'm giving an award for, hey, why wasn't Nick Cage considered for the Hulk? Guys, wow. I, love, I loved Edward Norton. I love Mark Ruffalo. You're not even going to consider Nick Cage? What are you thinking? And you'll consider Dominic Brussel instead of Nick Cage? that's a great point, Austin. You're going to consider a guy that has no acting range at all, but not Nick Cage? He could have given us... Oh my God, Keith, can you picture the close-ups we could have gotten of Nick Cage getting angry and transforming into the Hulk and screaming? They would have been legendary. 
Don't want to see me when I'm angry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually thinking of a new dream casting. Speaking of Dominic Brussel. Oh. Fucking put him as Betty Ross. He'll give the same rage Liv Tyler gave in this movie. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Cage, though. We have to go find Mr. Blue. Why are you doing your own Wilson impression? All right, everybody. Well, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you hit that subscribe button so you never miss any of our upcoming content. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing it to the friend, we really do appreciate that so we can continue to grow this show. At The Arnie's is our social and thearnies.media is the website. The MCU series will continue in two weeks with Iron Man. And next week, we are taking a much-needed break from the MCU in favor of where this podcast began, the DCEU. Zack Snyder's Justice League is finally upon us. How will this four-hour epic be? We'll let you know next week. Later this week, Falcon and Winter Soldier starts, which means the MCU will continue. Can't wait for that show. All the buzz has been good, so that'll be fun to break down. Iron Man 2, guys. How the fuck is that going to hold up? I have no clue. I'm a little bit nervous, but at least we have RDJ. And guys, I mean, what can what can we say? It feels like an eternity. But Zack Snyder's Justice League, like Austin said, is upon us. Are we looking forward to watching this? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so nervous. Uh, so excited. It's like uh, it's like that that scene from The Office whenever uh, Michael Scott is looking at the camera and he's like. I'm ready to get hurt again. No doubt about it. <laughs> Give it to me, Zack Snyder. Give it to me. I'm so excited, but God, I know it's going to hurt. quote is the perfect quote for anything Zack Snyder will ever do. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, check us out on Instagram at The Arnie's. Feel free to direct message us your thoughts on this episode and upcoming episodes. Please go back and catch up on WandaVision. Give us your theories on that. Look forward to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Check out the trailers. Let us know what you're thinking. What's going to come on that one? What else we got coming out? Oh, we just finished Cloud Atlas. Go back and listen to the review of that. I had a lot of fun reviewing that one. And maybe give us your thoughts on that one, too. It prepared us. The three-hour the three hour viewing of Cloud Atlas prepared us for the four-hour viewing of the Snyder Cut. All right. That's going to do it for us today. Have a great week, everybody. We will talk to you on Sunday for Falcon and Winter Soldier. And then again on Tuesday for the Snyder Cut. <laughs>